Welcome to the Unqualified Sports Show for August 22nd, 2020. I am your host, Nate Snitko, and with me as always is my partner in crime, Forrest James. Hello. Uh, let's get right into it. We start today with the Boston Bruins, who finish defeating the uh, Carolina Hurricanes in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, they win game five by a final score of two to one to complete the gentleman's sweep. Um, Patrice Bergeron basically uh, scored the winning goal with 2.5, excuse me, 3.5 seconds left in the second period. Um, they managed to hold on and win a very tight uh, two to one game. I have to say, this is one of those weird situations where I don't feel like the final record in terms of games won and lost really accurately reflects how good these teams were actually compared to one another. Um, you know, they obviously be, were able to beat, defeat Carolina in five games, but I thought Carolina played really, really well in this series for the most part. Uh, these games were always close. I mean, the game one of the series went to double overtime. Uh, this one probably would have gotten, gone to overtime had the uh, the Bruins not been able to, to notch that goal uh, in the second period. I mean, these two teams were very evenly matched in the first round, so... I'm glad to see the Bruins get by them quickly. Uh, we'll talk about their upcoming match in a minute, but I do really feel like they're going to benefit from some extra rest. Uh, you know, David Pasternak did will, did return in this one, but he obviously didn't look very good through the first period, and even though he did notch a pair of assists in this game, really not the Pasternak that I think they really need if they're going to be able to re truly challenge for the Stanley Cup uh, during these playoffs. Uh, Bergeron and Krejci were both really good in this, and actually we were both really good in the series. Charlie McAvoy has been fantastic in this series. He is he was by far the best defenseman on the ice. Um, I think it was game two. He just laid an absolute monster hit on uh, Andrei Svechnikov to completely remove him from the series. Like, it was a clean hit. It was just, you know, Charlie McAvoy is built like a you know, built like a fire plug. And if you run into him at speed, it's going to hurt. So, yeah, I have to say, like, this was a, a real challenging matchup for them. The Hurricanes were the top seed in uh, in the East that, did, you know, that had to play during the, uh, the seeding round. Um, so they did not participate in the round. Robin did determine uh, the top spot. But of those, you know, of the teams outside the top four, they were by far the best. Uh, I'm glad that they, uh, the Bruins were able to handle them and handle them, uh, you know, relatively easily. Were you able to watch any of these ga this game, these games by I, any chance? I don't have a really good ability to watch anything right now. <clears throat> okay. I have to say, though, I mean, bubble hockey has been, for the most part, pretty good. Um, there was some controversy earlier in this series over uh, a couple of, you know, injuries that happened, um, there were, you know, uh, there was, I think, one hit in Game 3 by Zidane Chara that was a little bit borderline, but for the most part, these have been pretty cleanly played hockey games, for the mo um, uh, which I, I'm happy to see. You haven't seen some of the shenanigans that have happened in some of the other series. Uh, I'm thinking of, in particular, uh, I think it was either Capitals, Islanders, or Tampa Bay and uh, and Columbus that really had some, some real... Uh, Real goonery going on. Uh, <laughs> as mentioned, David Pasternak did return in this game. Uh, mm -hmm. He basically played a little bit of game one, but missed the round robin round entirely uh, and was out for games two and three. 
uh, excuse me, two, three, and four uh, with a leg injury. He did return in this one, and as mentioned, uh, he had two assists in his uh, appearance. Uh, the good news about that is they actually got some really good play out of Anders Bjork. Uh, he, you know, basically went from a guy who was not really expected to play much at all this play these playoffs to basically, you know, on the top line with uh, with Marchand and Bergeron and and was you know, a pretty good replacement. Obviously nowhere near as Pasternak because Pasternak, you know, won the walk, won the Rocket Richard trophy this year for the the most goals scored. But, you know, it's good that they have some of that they can drop in and isn't a complete liability on what is just still the probably the most vicious line in hockey. Uh they will be going on to face the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, the Lightning defeated uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets in five games. Um, they were, they, we didn't know that that was going to take place until last night when the um, Philadelphia Flyers managed to finish off the Montreal Canadiens, uh, which personally makes me very happy. You know how I feel about the Montreal Canadiens. I hate them more than almost any other uh, major sports franchise. Yes. Um but yeah, that's going to be a real tough uh, round. These teams were one and two in terms of record in the regular season in the league overall, which is surprising considering that they, you know, they share a conference. Tampa Bay and Boston are both members of the uh, the Atlantic Conference. Uh, you would expect that the Metro would uh, would have had a little bit more to say, but apparently not. So has uh, um, has Halak been playing pretty well as goalie? Halak has done really, really well. Um, I think one of the things that helps is that. You know, he did get a lot of play during the regular season. Uh, We've talked before about the fact that the Bruins really do not like riding a goalie all that well. Um, You know, they've had to do it with Rask a couple of times, and it usually ends up with them on the outside looking in when it comes to the playoffs. In this particular case, Halak was ready to jump right in and has looked really, really good, excuse me, uh, over the last few games. Uh, Obviously, he only gave up one goal in this game, uh, facing 23 shots. Um, I don't know what he's looking at right now in terms of a, uh, a goals against average, but his save percentage has been exactly what you want your goalie to have, um, you know, going into the going into the second round of the playoffs. Uh, but they're going to have a real challenge. I mean, Tampa Bay is a very, very good team. Obviously, they had the ignominious record last year of, you know, getting swept in the first round after winning the President's Trophy. But they still have most of their very good players. They will be without their most, uh, without their best player. Uh, Steven Stamkos will still be out for this series. I don't know, to be honest with you, when Stamkos is even likely to return. Um, but regardless, they've got enough firepower that it's going to be a real challenge for this Bruins team going forward. They're really going to have to be defensively responsible. I think the good news is is that now that Pasternak is back, they're not really facing that much in terms of uh, of injury. They've been able to stay relatively healthy this whole time uh, but yeah i mean it's going to be a tough series for them uh and i you know i i, do, I gotta be honest with you though like i really do feel like they've got an advantage over tampa if only because i think they have guys who know what it takes to succeed in the playoffs and i i've never really felt that about tampa tampa really Welcome. reminds me of like you remember the braves from the 90s the atlanta braves where it felt like they won the pennant like every year in the National League and then would get like knocked out in um in the uh you know the 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 playoffs for baseball. That's kind of how I feel about Tampa. Like I just don't feel I feel like they're a great regular season team, but I don't really feel like they've got that extra gear. 
They got by a Columbus Blue Jackets okay. team that is completely decimated compared to where they were last year. Uh, so I really don't feel like that 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 Columbus team really was all that much of a challenge. That Columbus team really should not have been in the position to be where they were, except for the fact that they played out of their minds during the uh, during the seeding round. So I don't know. Like I, I have to say, I feel good about Boston in this one. I feel good about them hopefully being able to make it, you know, to the uh, to the the semifinals and then you know obviously the 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 cups so we'll see right now it looks like the um start time for tampa bay it's going to be you know of course we record on saturday which is uh the 22nd they will be mm-hmm. a the prime time game on sunday the 23rd they'll be on at 8 p.m so you know get your uh, get your popcorn ready that should be a good one um, I guess the good thing about this is because there's no travel, you don't end up with that weird like day in between when everybody plays. There was a little bit of a delay between the the second the first round and the second round this time because they had to wait to see how that Philly um, Montreal series would wrap up. But you know, there's no week long layoff. There's no you know two or three days between games. If you're watching these games on TV, I know I know it kind of stinks to not have fans in the stands, but I guess that is a nice silver lining for people, uh, and I kind of feel the same way about the NBA. The, the no fans is helping. Not so much the no fans, but the no travel. Like having oh, yeah, no everybody in helps, one yeah. place has really kind of made it so that they've been able to streamline when these games happen. And you know, well, one of the like, worst it's been one of the worst things that? about well, one of the worst things about the playoffs for both hockey and basketball is just a long lay times. Right. The, the long layoffs, it was what, like four or five days sometimes between games because of uh, supposedly travel and things like that? Travel and series ending and, you know, other Waiting for the that, other uh, team the to finish. Stuff like that, yeah. yeah. That is obviously not in, a problem in the bubble. The bubble is all hockey all the time, and I am 100% there for it. I have to be honest with you, like, if you have an NHL Center Rice subscription, which I do, it's been a lot of hockey. I mean, it's going to be a little less hockey now because there are a few teams that are playing. But, like, there was a point during the play-in round where I could just turn on the, the, the NHL Center Ice package at noon and basically be watching hockey until close to midnight. If you are a hockey fan, it's been fantastic from that point of view. That's a, that's a lot of hockey. I mean, look, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I watched every single game, but if I've got – you know, a couple of hours in the middle of the day where I don't have anything that I, I necessarily want to watch. Being able to throw on an, a hockey game where I don't know where, what the ending is going to be has been kind of nice. Yeah. And, and the same was true for basketball. I mean, basketball was starting, I think, at like 1 p.m. Eastern during the even during the, the f- first round of the playoffs. It's been like that. So there's been plenty of sports to watch, which considering that we went four months with basically nothing sports wise to pay attention to, it's been a nice change. Hey, that marble league was very, very interesting. Let me just—I, I would, I would never, <laughs> I would never want to insult marble league. Marble league was, was actually really surprisingly fun. entertaining. But yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, of course I do. You can only watch uh, reruns of sports for so long, or sports documentaries, or yeah. Oh, I can never watch a sports documentary. <laughs> yeah, me personally, I mean, a lot of I them just, are real. I just bad. can't do that. Let's move on to the Boston Celtics. The Celtics defeated the Philadelphia Sixers last night by a final score of 102-94. to That moved them up 3-0 on the series. 
And I got to be honest with you, I'm kind of smelling a sweep here. This really did kind of feel to me like the best shot that Philadelphia was going to be able to give them. Uh, the Celtics shot really poorly in this one. The Sixers also shot really poorly in this one and really were not able to get anything going inside on offense, which is criminal when you consider the fact that their best player is Joel Embiid, who should be able to impose his will on the interior in, in whenever he wants to. Um, I do want to point a uh, uh, people to 538.com because they ran a really good article about how Boston has been able to um, I should say 538 is spelled out in this particular case. Uh, you can't just type in 538. But the they ran a really good article about how the Boston Celtics have been, pay, you know, dealing with just the dominant, uh, you know, inside presence that Joel Embiid is. And it's kind of fascinating just how few chances he's been able to get on the inside. Um, it's looking a lot like the uh, the Celtics are really going to be able to move this, you know, on into the the second round. You know, at this point, obviously up three nothing, you would expect them to be able to seal a deal. I'd hope so. Man, like Philly has just looked bad, like really bad. Like game two, they they got walloped in game two, and just, like it looks like they came out ready for game three, but just still could get absolutely nothing to go going on offense. Uh, and, you know, it's I think it's a real indictment of the way that that team was assembled. Uh, the article, by the way, on 538.com, if you're looking for it, is called When Joel Embiid Posts Up, the Celtics Are Ready. Uh, it's written by a guy named Jared Rubin, and it does a really good job of breaking down how the Celtics have basically been dealing with the fact that they only really need to pay attention to one amazing inside scorer and that pretty much everybody else that's around him is not much of a threat to score offensively. That while they are a very good defensive team, Philadelphia is fatally flawed when it comes to offense, and this really kind of breaks down why that is. Yes. As to the game itself, Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker were both really, really good in this one. Kemba Walker score, uh, scored 24 points. Jalen Brown had a 21. Jalen only had 15, um, He, but that's basically because he had a, a, a real rough start to the game. He basically ended up with three fouls in the first half. Uh, and so had to sit for a while. But when it came to the, the third, third and fourth quarter, when they put them back in, uh, they were really, really good. Marcus Smart in double-figure scoring is not something that you and I usually want to hear. Yeah. But in this particular case, he was all over the place for them. He was a defensive force. Uh, he was being smart about how he scored. Usually the problem with Marcus Smart is that when he scores like that, he feels like he is the only option, and that was clearly not the case in this one. Uh, he ends up with the uh, the uh, eight rebounds for the highest score of rebounds of the game and three steals, one of which was an absolutely ridiculous uh, pickpocket of, uh, of Joel Embiid. So this team is rolling right now, and really, like, considering we were a little bit worried about how they were going to be going into this game because of the loss of Golden Hayward, which we'll talk about in a minute, Yeah, they really did kind of keep things going the way that they wanted to. This is the, the third straight game they've been able, able to hold a team that is ostensibly one of the best in the league at, at defense, uh, and they've been able to score 100 points on them. So, you know, I've been very happy with the way this team has been playing so far. So, uh, so, so what the heck is wrong with Hayward this time? So Gordon Hayward injured his, the, his other ankle in this particular case. Basically what happened was in this, in game two against the Philadelphia 76ers in the first quarter. Uh, he went up for a layup and came down and landed on a sixer foot. 
uh, and twisted the ankle that is uh, the opposite of the one that he broke, um, obviously, at the beginning of his Celtics career. Uh, he suffered a grade three ankle sprain and is out likely four weeks. Um, obviously, he is not terribly happy about this. He's, he said in a quote uh, during his media availability, it's definitely gutting. It sucks. There's nothing else to say about that. It's definitely frustrating. It doesn't feel good at the moment. He's just going to try to get better as soon as he can. And I really feel for this guy. Like, it's not like when he's been on the court that he hasn't been good. He was phenomenal for them in the first ah. game of the series and through most of the uh, and through most of the 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 early seeding round. Okay, you're talking recent history then. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm talking specifically how he's looked in the bubble. He he looked as close to Utah Gordon Hayward as I think we've ever seen in a in a Boston uniform, uh, and then to have him go out like this is. It's like this guy, I honestly, like, I don't know if there's like something about his body in specific where he just tends to get more injured more easily than most. But man, like, Seems that way. if this guy didn't have bad luck, he'd have no luck at all. I mean, at least um, it's not the same angle, but like, how do, how do you keep, how do you keep injuring like your legs like this? I mean, I will say <clears throat> this, which is that because of the style that he plays, because he's very much an interior scorer, this is not an uncommon injury to have. It's just that, you know, it, it seems to be happening to him more often than okay. it feels like it should. It's not an I don't uncommon know if... injury to have, but it's uncommon to have the injuries as much as he's been having. Well, I'm not, look, I'm not even going to argue that. Like I said, I don't know if there's something about his body where it just it's more it's less resilient than others. I mean, I don't know if it's because, you know, there's it's... something, you know, in terms of his diet that he's not doing. I just don't know enough to be able to answer. I, I, but, ca man. Calcium, man. Eat some, eat some calcium. Well, uh, yeah, obviously. With a strain, obviously, things are a little bit different. But what, What's good for uh, tendons? Meat? Eat some meat. Yeah. <laughs> eat the tendons of something else. No, it's yeah. it's just that. Swallow your enemy's heart to steal their power. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's It's just, it's constant with him, though. Ever since he became, like... Ever since he became a Celtics, he, he's been nothing but on the injury list, it seems. It, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with him, in part because this was going to be the final year of his contract. He has a player opt-in for next season. Just, uh, just which go. Which you would expect him to take. Uh, and then I'm like, what is the market for this guy going to be? Like, he has not been able to string together, yep. I think, more than about 30 games of health since he got injured uh, on that play with Kyrie. I mean, it took it took him a whole year to even get back up to par, right? No, he just to get back on the court, much better. Well, like, okay, I don't so was, so it took a year for him to get back on the court. Months to get back to the point where he he was even close to where people expected him to be. Which, to be honest with you, given the nature of his injury, like in a previous era, he would never have played again, right? Like that, he's yeah, only I... able to come back from that vicious a break because of of the wonders of modern medicine. And, you know, like, I feel bad because his contract is an absolute albatross for a reason that's not really his fault and not really the Celtics' fault. But, you know, they're paying him the max. They're probably going to end up paying him the max next year. I don't see a circumstance under which he, he doesn't opt into his contract unless they manage to sign him to a cheaper long-term deal. But I got to be honest with you, like, I'm not sure that's a good idea because, frankly, they're going to run out of roster spots. And even though when healthy, he is very, very good, he has not been able to be healthy at all in the last four years. Yeah. We're going back to the beginning of the 20, uh, 2017, 2018 season. So I guess three years, but 
Like, you know, like I, I, I think this is one of those situations where as much as they love him and they do, like when he's healthy, he can do some amazing things for them. He just can't stay healthy. And I, you know, they can't afford to be using a roster spot and that much cap space on a guy who can't stay on the court. Especially no, no, because agree, yeah. as you know, they're, they're, they still have draft picks to use. Uh, we might as well talk about this now. So the, the, the loss by the Memphis Grizzlies to the Portland trailblazers basically put them into the lottery. Uh, it gave them, it would have given them the number 14 pick overall, but of course the Boston Celtics own that by right of a previous trade. So the Celtics will have three picks in the early rounds uh, of the, the upcoming 2020 draft. Uh, they will have picks number 14. Uh, they will have pick number 24, uh, pick number 26. And they have the Milwaukee Bucks selection at number 30. So they have three first round picks that they're going to end up having to figure out something to do with. And I'll be honest with you, like, I don't know what they do at this point. Like, they actually have a problem that they have too many young players. I think at this point, like, they have a number of young players in the G League or who are on the bottom end of the roster that they would like to be able to develop. And, like, they're ending up in a situation where all of these guys are coming in and they're really not able to give them, like, they're basically wasted wasted picks because, they, you know, they, they show up and then they end up getting, you know, either out of the league or traded shortly thereafter. Um, I will say that the Romeo Langford pick, because of his play during the bubble, looks a lot better than it did when they originally made it now. But... This is, I think, the third year in a row where they've had multiple first-round picks that they've had to figure out something to do with. And at this point, you just don't have the pick, the, the, the spots on the roster. You know, you still have you still have to figure out what to do with Tremont Waters, which people seem to really like. You still have to worry about what to do with Romeo Lankford, who spent most of his time in the G League this year, but would presumably be expected to be on the regular roster next season. You know, you have a log jam right now with three players currently vying for the center spot, even if Daniel Tice decides to leave at the end of the season with uh, with um, Time Lord, uh, Vincent Poirier, and Taco Fall. Oh, excuse me, and Grant Williams. So, excuse me, make that a four-way, you know, log jam for the number three spot at center. Like, you just, you have too many people. Uh, and I just, I, I'm curious to see what they end up doing with this. Like, if I were them, I might look at, packaging one or all of these picks into, you know, a package for a team that's looking for first round picks who just kind of need guys and looking to get subsequent draft picks in subsequent years. I just don't feel like they need to be bringing in a lot of players right now. Yeah. But then, in a lot of ways, so, so the question is what, what do you do with them? Cause even if you trade them down or something like that, you're still going to get players. Sure. And like if they can trade like if they could trade all three of these picks to move up into the top 10, I would absolutely do that. Like this is supposed to be one of the better drafts. I think if you can get a top 10 pick, I don't think it's likely, but I think it's possible. If you can get a top 10 pick, you know, by packaging either multiple draft picks or, you know, somebody who's sitting on your bench or, you know, frankly, Gordon Hayward, if you, you know, if if that was a, a position they wanted to go, I think you'd do it. Otherwise, if you have to make these picks, honestly, at this point, I think you're looking to draft primarily European players and hoping that they stay in Europe and continue the development over there. Because you don't really have spots in your G League team. You definitely don't have spots in the NBA roster. Like at this point, drafting and draft and stashing looks like the only way that that 
you know, is really likely to work. But even that isn't a guarantee. I mean, Gershon Yebuseli ended up in a situation where he basically screwed them over by coming over a year early. And he was out of the league within two years after that. That is a wasted first round draft pick that they had to do that they had to do because the guy got drafted and then decided that he wanted to come over and have an NBA contract when he clearly was not ready for it. So I, it's a good question. Like in a lot of ways, it's not a bad problem to have, right? You'd rather have too many draft picks than too few, but it also like, oh, I, I think there is such a thing as just too many picks though. I mean, I, there is in the sense that you, you know, you're just going to end up wasting them. Yeah. And like, I can see already that they're being, you know, I don't think Carson Edwards is going to be on this team next year. Like as fun an idea of having him on there as he was, he's a short point guard who is a volume shooter. Like that's not what they need right now. And I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to find out that because he was on a, on a G league contract that they end up letting him go off to either somebody else's camp or off to, you know, China or, or, you know, Europe or something like that. Like sooner or later, like, I guess the thing that bothers me the most about this is that it's one thing to let these guys go. It's another thing entirely to have them come back and haunt you because some guys just need the additional development time, right? Like if you look at, you know, some of the players who have, if you look at, for instance, like Patrick Beverly, who's, you know, been playing really, really well for the Clippers, that was a situation where that guy got drafted into a team that really did not have the ability to develop him he went overseas to develop his skills and ended up coming back. And that's a wasted draft pick for the organization that drafted him, right? Like they could have had a good player if they had had the bandwidth to be able to develop him, but because they didn't, he's now, you know, a valuable player on somebody else's team. And that's really what I worry about when it comes to the Boston Celtics. Is that they spend all the time building somebody up and then they just become a good well, player they on don't somebody spend else. The time to build up somebody up who could be built. <laughs> oh, right? okay. Like, if you, you know, if you told me, because Taco Fall, for instance, right, that's a guy who was an absolute monster in force in college, but basically had not played basketball until he was a junior in high school. There is still a chance that he could end up being something special if he was given the opportunity to develop and learn the skills that he just wasn't able, you know, that he would normally have learned when he was younger. But I can see a circumstance under which they cannot hang on to him because they have too many roster spots to fill and they decide that somebody else might have a lower floor than he has a higher ceiling. And you can't teach seven foot four. Like sooner or later, it's valuable to have guys who just have the physical abilities if you can then train them up to have the the skills that they need. And that's where I'm worried that they're going to start running into problems. And they need cheap people, right? Because, you know, Jalen Brown, I think is up at the end of next season and Jason Tatum, or, well, I'm sorry. I think they just extended Jalen Brown, but you get the idea. Yeah. Like, those guys are both going to be max level players when it's all said and done. You need valuable guys who can come in and, you know, just be competent. And it's real tough to get those guys as free agents. You're a lot better off being able to develop them if you can. So, you know, if this team has championship aspirations, and frankly, with a, with a, with a player of like, uh, like uh, Jason Tatum's caliber and a player like Jalen Brown's caliber, I think that that is definitely within the realm of possibility you don't want to end up in a situation where you basically have a bunch of unready people around him because you've basically wasted a ton of draft picks, just recycle, you know, just shuffling players in and out of the organization for the last five years. I gotcha. I gotcha. 
Anyway, uh, let's move on to the Boston Red Sox. The Red Sox have now won three straight, and if you had told me that that was even possible a week ago, I wouldn't have said that it was, except for the fact that they're playing a team that's even worse than them in the in the Baltimore Orioles. Um, they had I mean, homers they're... from Jamie Martinez, Xander Bogarts, and Raphael Devers in this one with an eight to five win uh, at Camden Yards. Uh, not much to say about this one, except that they, you know, it was good to see them pick up a win after their only decent pitching performance that I've seen so far this year. <laughs> uh, the previous game where Eovaldi threw, had one bad inning and then got them to a seven to one win. Um, Alex Verdugo is hitting pretty well. Uh, he's been up actually a fairly bright spot for them offensively. His hitting streak is extended now to 12 games. He got a fun little, uh, you know, uh, human interest piece about the fact that he was wearing uh, cleats that honored David Ortiz earlier this week. Um, they basically gave, were able to get a uh, give Darwin's and Hernandez his first uh, his first starting outing, which was nice. Um, they basically used him as a starter. He pitched two scoreless, but really did not go very long. Um, it was the kind of win that you would hope to see from them more often. Okay. I don't really want to bag them, bag on them this much about it, but like, it was basically the first, like the last three games, the first three games of the entire season, where I didn't feel like the bullpen was constantly in, uh, you know, the in the process of sabotaging whatever they'd just done. They got a good offensive effort. They got a mediocre but acceptable defensive effort and they were able to come away with a win we are coming up on the trade deadline so it'll be very interesting to see if they make any more moves i said that because they did make one move this week um this week they traded uh brendan working in heath henry for a a couple of players um nick pavetta and connell's connor siebold uh, Pavetta, Pavetta, I should say, is a kind of an odd duck. He was considered to be a pretty uh, decent prospect within the Phillies organization, but in the three games that he played so far this season for them, he got absolutely shelled. Oh, he nice. is, his record for this season so far is zero and zero with a fifteen point eight six ERA. Jeez, uh, he'll, he did not. He'll fit right in. Yeah. He did not immediately join the team. They basically sent him off to their secondary training site. I don't think that you will see him in a Red Sox game much, if at all, this season, mostly because I think that they feel like the Phillies as an organization had a player who had a lot of promise and then completely damaged him by letting him basically tear himself to pieces on the mound. Um, but I have to be honest with you. like If you're going to go out and get somebody like that, giving up a guy like Heath Hembree or Brandon Workman for that, not really bothering me that much. Like neither uh, Hembry nor Workman, I thought were were absolutely vital to the continued su- success of the Boston Red Sox. So if you feel like they've got somebody who just needs a little bit of repair, at this point, if you're the Red Sox, you're looking in the scratch and dent bin for literally anybody who can come in and be a, a valuable, uh, 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 you know, middle reliever. Seawold, yep. on the other hand, has been uh, pretty good so far this season. He had. Uh, a 2.24 ERA and uh, a 224 opponent batting average in 12 appearances uh, over the in the minors last season. He so he looks like somebody who's going to be a much more traditional um, you know prospect for them pitching wise. 
admittedly that was in uh <clears throat> mostly in double a um but at this point like that is the kind of guy if you're them you want to go out and get to try to develop if you can uh Siebold is probably not a guy that they're going to be expecting to rely on during the regular season but because of the you know because there is no minor league baseball this year I think that's a good guy to go out and get to try to develop into, you know, a major league quality pitcher. Uh, they do, with this win, by the way, move to a 333 win percentage. They are a total at a total of 9 and 18. So uh, technically still not eliminated from the playoffs. Technically. Technically. <laughs> Uh, last bit of Red Sox news that I have for you is that the fans at Fenway and um, uh, Foxborough Stadium have been uh, ruled out through uh, the end of September, which means that there will be no fans in the stands during the Red Sox 2020 season. Um, the Revolution and the Patriots can, in theory, have fans in October, but that is, you know, that remains to be seen. My suspicion is they will not be allowed to be yeah, they won't be allowed to have fans in the stands basically until there's a widespread vaccine, which says to me that there's probably not going to be fans in the stands for either team pretty much this entire season. Uh, but the Red Sox CEO basically says that they hope to have Fenway, Fenway um, you know, people, excuse me, the president had basically said earlier this week that he hoped to have fans at Fenway Park. Um, but the, the news from the government came down earlier this week that basically put the kibosh on any chance of that ended up happening. Uh, there were only going to be 12 games that they would have been eligible to have fans for anyway. So I suppose it's not a huge loss, but you know, I mean, obviously <laughs> sports are very different. And in particular, I think baseball is very different when you don't have a crowd to react there. Baseball is, a, I, I, I don't know if this is true for you with, for me, with me, when I'm watching baseball, really the crowd sometimes lets me know when it's worth paying attention to what's going on. Um, like, I get what you're saying, but usually it's uh, it's usually the crack of the bat for you. Yeah, for me. <clears throat> so it's it's actually the sounds on the on the field that will perk my interest more than because they okay. they typically react to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Like you get so many you know foul balls and and infield you know dribblers and stuff like that. I guess. I've really learned to more pay attention to the crowd than I have to the, the crack of the bat, but that's fair. You know, I, I, I will say this, which is that, and this is not something that has happened at all with this Red Sox season, but like a really locked in crowd during an important game. I think it makes baseball a much, much better sport than it, than it is otherwise. Like psychologically, that is when baseball is at its best. Now with the Red Sox, that's not happening this season for obvious reasons. They're, bad and they will continue to be bad but still like i miss having the crowd there the crowd i guess if nothing else makes baseball more tolerable uh huh i don't know if i feel that same way actually i don't think there's really a, that big of a loss without the without the fans there and you can always pipe in some fan noise just for the ambiance yeah i mean obviously that's what they've been doing in the nhl uh and to a certain extent in the nba Obviously, the NBA has that weird thing where they have the the video walls in the stands where they're showing people watching at home. Um, I mean, honestly, I the, the little bit of I think it was I think it was Celtics I was listening to on the radio. Um, the little bit I heard on the radio, like it it did not 
even feel all that difference without the crowd there because it was just the announcers, uh, their voice dominating everything. And it felt like normal game. So maybe on television, it looks and feels a little weird, but I got to say that the little bit I have caught on the radio, it feels normal. It feels like the same thing that it was before. Yeah, there isn't mm-hmm. there isn't crowd, but sometimes that just gets in the way because you hear the people shouting like idiots, basically. Yeah, well, especially when the team is bad, like they are right now. Team is so bad. I guess yeah. I would agree with you in that sense. So, All right, let's move on to the New England Patriots. Um, unsurprisingly, to anyone who's paying attention, it is likely that Cam Newton will be the day one starter for no, the, really? the Patriots. Yeah, um, I will say this, like. The the injury to uh, to Jared Siddham that happened this week, which we'll talk about in a minute, really did not change anything here. Cam Newton is the one who has the higher ceiling by far. He is the one who has the experience. You know, I have to be honest with you. Like, I'm still super excited. The one thing that I will say is that he's looked really good so far in the preseason. Like, physically, he does not seem to be limited pretty much at all, which is really what you did hope to see from a guy who was – an MVP back in, or at least an MVP candidate back in 2015. Like five years is a long time, but also like he hasn't played in close to two years at this point. So I was a little bit worried that the, uh, the, the, the injury that he had suffered uh, in Carolina was really going to end up being nagging him going forward. And that does not seem to be the case. Now I don't expect them to run him as much as Carolina did at one point. I expect him to be much more of a traditional pocket quarterback from that sense. But also, like, New England's a team that cares about having an offensive line. And I, I think that more needs to be met about that, that he played behind awful, awful offensive lines for pretty much his entire career in Carolina. And I think that for him, that could make a really, really big difference. You know, as you would expect, the, you know, the wide receivers and linemen who have been working with him have been absolutely glowing when talking about him. Yeah. Uh, Julian Edelman obviously has been speaking really well of him. Um, you know, I, there's no real surprise there, but you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to this season. Uh, I do think it's going to be interesting to see how it works out without a preseason, obviously sort of changing to a, a completely different offense in midstream with a, with a new quarterback is going to be real tough for a team that, uh, you know, would normally have had, uh, not only the preseason, but also some scrimmages and off season to work with everything foreshortened. I'll be very interested to see how they kind of handled that. Well, Cam's going to be the quarterback because isn't Stidham hurt? Stidham is hurt, but that, you know, that has been, even if that weren't the case, obviously you don't pay a guy like Cam Newton and bring him in. And no. if he's playing at all decent. Yeah, I, under, I understand all that. And I, it's never been a question to me, but like on top of it all, like Stidham's been working through an injury for most of this camp, hasn't he? Uh, yeah. So basically he was out of, he was out of practice uh on friday uh there was a report saying that he was injured and that he might be basically done until future notice uh it was reported though that he does expect to participate in practice on sunday uh the patriots have a day off today so he would not be participating today he was pr- um, but practicing thursday wasn't he wasn't he throwing around on thursday yeah and so friday was the day when it came out that his his injury was bad enough that he might be shut down until oh, further notice okay. Um, I'll be interested to see what ends up happening here. I, I think they like Stidham enough to hang on to him, um, but it wouldn't surprise me to find out that Hoyer ends up being the number two, you know, going forward. If only because with the foreshortened season, I don't know that they feel like they can afford to give Stidham all that much of a shot. Um, 
I'll be very interested to see how it works out for him. Like, I feel real bad for, for Stidham in the sense that I think that if they had not been able to come to terms with Cam Newton, I think there's a very real chance that he could have ended up the starter, if only because with Brian Hoyer, I really do feel like there's a ceiling to how good your team can actually be. Mm, maybe, um, yeah. I mean, he, w- he would have been quarterback because there wouldn't have been a better choice at that right. point. Yeah. And frankly, because he's cheap. I mean, Stidham was a... Well, Cam like is pretty cheap, too. Round. Yeah, he is. But like, what I'm saying like what I'm saying is, like, Stidham is in no danger of losing his job because he's too expensive. What, yeah. Like, he's costing them basically the minimum salary. Although, man, I'm trying to think. Because the, the seventh render, I think the, the starting contract is, is three years, which means they theoretically have him through the end of next season. I don't know. It's I, I feel bad for the kid because it does kind of feel like fate has kind of jerked him around a little bit. But yeah, I've got to be honest with you. I don't know what you really expect out of a guy who was a seventh round draft pick. Yeah, I don't know how how bad I actually feel for him if he's if he's actually injured and he injured himself through camp. Like I don't know. Right. Like that that doesn't say to me that says he wouldn't have had lasting power out there. Like he would have well, been basically Garoppolo. And he is a running quarterback. Yeah. I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of running quarterbacks. I don't know how I'm gonna I'm gonna feel about Cam when he's out there. Honestly, I don't think you're gonna see him run that much. I in hope part not. because, in part because of that injury history of his. Like I think it's a, a tool that they will keep in their back pocket, and I definitely see that. I uh, think it's something that oh, you'll yeah. see Belichick sort of do from time to time. But I think really when it comes to Cam Newton, really they're much more interested in making sure that he stays healthy than utilizing his abilities as a runner. I, I just hope it doesn't become checkdowns. Nobody's open, running the ball. Yeah, that's which true. I really have a feeling. Like I have a fear of that happening this year, just because he's trying to prove something. Maybe, and but I hope, honestly, I hope not. like I, I don't think Newton's that dumb. I, I really don't. Like I think Newton realizes that his value comes from a good quarterback performance, not a good running back performance. I think he's gotten a little full of himself. I mean. That's I mean, something he's, that people he, have said about him for a long time. Yeah, but. I mean, he earned it. He earned the ability to be proud of what he did. Right. Right. But, like, I hope he doesn't bring that into this and being like, oh, because he's been out for a couple of years, right? Yeah. But, I mean, he was out for a couple of years with shoulder injuries, not with leg injuries. I, I, it doesn't really matter what injury you have. When you, get, when you get hit and brought down to the ground, a lot of stuff starts cracking. That's true. I mean, for what for what it's worth, the reports from camp from both uh, players and from beat reporters have been very positive. And so, yeah, you know, I, I do think there's a chance that this ends up being the best of all worlds. But I can understand people's concern. I'm, I'm concerned. That's all I'm saying is that I'm concerned. I just don't want him to go out there and think he's Superman again. And, and then end up injured in week four. And then, and then we've got an, an injured backup there. coming out to, like, replace him. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, it's not good scenarios if he goes yeah. down. Last bit of news that I have for you is that a Florida appeals court has ruled on Wednesday that Robert Kraft's rights were violated as part of the uh, massage parlor investigation that had him arrested. Yeah, take that, Florida. Um, yeah, so the, the quote from the, the, the ruling is that the type of law enforcement surveillance utilized, utilized in these cases is extreme. While there are situations may warrant the use of techniques at issue, the strict Fourth Amendment safeguards developed over the past few decades must be observed. So not only is it likely at this point that the case will end up being thrown out, at least 
from what I have heard. But there is a chance that this ends up causing a, a level of case law that significantly damages the police's ability to use that kind of continuous video surveillance. Um, I don't know why they thought it was appropriate to use in this case anyways. I mean, it's a good question. It, by all accounts, like, I will say this. There is very little chance that, that Kraft did what... There's very little chance that Kraft did not do what he's accused of doing. That said... Like this was clearly a case where they were out to make it, where somebody in the police department was out to make, to embarrass a bunch of people, and basically use some very shady tactics to do so. Well, what? Uh, so, so why well, I agree with you that he did what he did. He didn't do what they thought he did, because that they they thought that he was in on this like human trafficking aspect that doesn't seem to exist in this at all. So this is the thing. I don't think they ever actually thought that. I think they put that out there to further embarrass him to try to get him to get oh, him to suck. No, I think full on that that detective who was do, who was leading this whole thing yeah. and getting all that limelight because of this, I honestly believe that he thought that he had cracked this human trafficking case in Florida. Mm-hmm. And that he had found that like some very powerful people were involved and he was all giddy that he was going to not only be not only be on TV, but be on TV as a hero. Right. So I, I think full on he thought he found some human trafficking. When it just when it just turned, it looks like, and I know this sounds weird, but like it turns out to just be prostitution. Yeah, it's it's a regular, you know, it's a it's a regular everyday case of somebody engaging in the service of of a sex worker. Right. Right. And like. That's like, all I, it ever should have been. Yeah. Frankly, there is an argument to be made that this that it shouldn't be that the sort of thing that he paid for shouldn't be illegal in the first place. But I, that's that's yeah. for a different kind of podcast altogether. Regardless, <laughs> Tune in later. <laughs> regardless, you know it's going to be interesting to see what the, how this goes because I will say one thing about Florida, which is that there is a chance this evidence could be used against him anyway. Florida is one of those weird states that even if stuff is uh, you know. Even if evidence is illegally seized, that a, unless that there is a very high barrier to getting it excluded altogether. But the the fact is, Kraft would most likely receive a fine. He might receive some community service, and that's basically going to be about it. We're not talking about, you know, the complete sanction that people wanted when this first story story first came out. Yeah, yeah. like there were people who were calling for Kraft to be forced to sell the team. When this first happened, which is on the face of it now, completely ridiculous. <laughs> hey, Brian, I got a third example for you. Oh? No, oh, just cancel culture going too far. Remember you said on oh. the normal podcast? Check out the normal podcast on qualifiednetworks.com. <laughs> that he hadn't yeah, found I'm other both... examples of it. And I found like one this week with a guy who said like uh, the hockey players seem to be doing good because they don't have women to distract them. Oh, that's Mike Milbury. He's just yeah, a moron. and that got blown up into like he doesn't want women in the NHL at all. He I mean, has reporters. It also himself. doesn't help that Mike Milbury's an idiot, and basically nobody likes him. Look, speaking as somebody who had has a team that he used to be the general manager of, Mike Milbury shouldn't be anywhere near hockey, but not for that quote. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like the quote He's wasn't just as bad. bad at what he does. I, I get it. I'm just saying that there's been examples of people calling for people's jobs when it's really not that bad what they've done. Right. 
All right, uh, let's move on to some national news. Well, international news in this case. Uh, the Canadian Football League has canceled its 2020 season this week. Uh, this will be the first time that the Grey Cup won't be presented since the 1919 uh, flu pandemic. Why, why, uh, why are they doing that? I thought, I thought Canada was actually doing really well with this. Am, um, am I wrong? Yeah, they're also being, governor, you know, in terms of the government, they're being very, very strict about how and when people are being allowed to congregate. Um, uh-huh. In particular, they are being very, very strict about intra-province travel in Canada. Like, if you travel from one province to another, it, they're being very strict about what you can and cannot do and how much time you need to be able to take to uh, to quarantine. <laughs> so this might be part of it. <laughs> the um, one of the reasons why me. hockey has been hap- happening in a bubble is because basically Canada and said, you can do this, but if you do this, people can't leave and they can't come in. And if they leave and or come in, they have to quarantine for two weeks. They're being very, very strict about this sort of thing. So it doesn't surprise me to find that out uh, that this league is going to, to uh, you know, not run this year. It's so impractical it hurts. Yeah. Uh, now, the good news is they were able to get a loan from the Canadian government that will basically allow them to continue operation without the, uh, you know, without games going on. So there's no chance, or there's very little chance, I should say. Boy, that, that, would never, fold. that would never float over here. That's true. Um, but I think that they, that the Canadians are a little bit more um, nationalist about some things. <laughs> and I sure. will say, look, yeah, I will say this. The, the Canadian Football League is one of the oldest professional sports leagues in the world. Yeah. They start The Grey Cup was first held in 1809. So it actually predates the NFL by a decade or two. So I can understand why they would want to sort of keep the legacy of this sport go oh i i get why they would want to keep it it's just like if you told if you told americans like hey the government's gonna bail out the nfl so that they can keep their operations running for the year or even uh-huh. just or even just like nba any of them like the the, the people would riot something fierce no I'm, i i agree i'm right there with you even so. especially like even if it was baseball that has a huge tradition in america and has been around forever uh, even if like even if the government came out and said, "Hey, we're going to give Major League Baseball some money so that they can recoup some losses from this year," like people would just lose their minds. Probably so. I mean, I think also what helps here is the scale. Like you're talking thirty million. There are yeah. football players who are going to make more than that this season. So like, it's not like they're asking them for a five billion dollar bailout or whatever it would be with the with the NFL. So <laughs> true. 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 <laughs> Last bit of news that I have for you this week is that the 146th running of the Kentucky Derby will take place on yeah. September 5th. However, uh, there will be no attendance in the stands. The, the Derby will be taking place with empty stands for basically the first time that I can think of. I don't think they even had empty stands during the 1919 um, uh, pandemic. So, you know, I, this is interesting because basically what it says to me is that for this particular event, TV is much more important than I thought it was. Um, the Derby has always been much more of an in-person event to my mind, but you know, obviously it is broadcast on TV every year. But uh, I didn't realize how valuable it was to NBC, who holds the rights to it. Um, it will, of course, be televised. Um, but yeah, I, I thought this was interesting. Like, 
horse racing doesn't strictly speaking require crowds in the same way that you know um you know like a, a sporting event like hockey or football or even baseball but you know obviously the the pageantry of the kentucky derby is almost as important as the event itself and so to not have the the, the stands full i think that's a little weird mm, a little weird a little weird so i the the derby was my mother's favorite uh sporting event every year like my mother could care about sports the rest of the time but she loved her some horse racing. It's funny. Do they do other things at the Derby other than the one race? Pretty much, no. It, it is literally. I don't about, understand why you would. Want it, it is basically about a minute and thirty seconds of action yeah. for, you know, a, a a whole lot of you know TV spots about various things. Yeah. Um, I don't think they don't even like a run undercard races that day. Although I could be wrong about that. I don't you know. know. At least with like a big boxing event, you usually have other boxing yeah, matches but, that are going on ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, I don't but get yeah, it. it's <laughs> the Derby itself is a real short event, and there's a lot that goes around around. Now NBC still has five hours blocked out for this event. The broadcast is supposed to go from two thirty to seven thirty uh, on the fifth. So I'll be very interested to see what they use to fill that time. For a minute, because you know a lot of it is you know stories about stuff that's going on around Kentucky at that time, and there ain't a lot going on right now. <laughs> so we'll see. Huh. Okay. Anyway, uh, that will do it for this week. This has been the Unqualified Sports Show. You can follow us online at unqualifiednetworks.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at unqualifiednet. You can follow me on Twitter at nsnitko. That is N-S-N-I-T-K-O. You can follow Forrest on Twitter at Forrest James. If you have a story that you'd like to share with the show, or you'd like us provide this, you would like to provide us with some feedback. Feel free to drop us a line at unqualifiednetworks at gmail.com, and we'll see you again soon.